It's good to see everyone here, visitors, strangers, far and near. You're welcome. It's good to see you here. Um, along with Mark Proper, he sent me a, I don't know, uh, um, maybe it didn't come from him, but I got a text or a WhatsApp, and he or they, whoever they are, I just remember it was on my phone, that he would be um, open for meals. So I think Friday night is taken. So um, if you would like to have him, he is pursuing God, and I think you can learn a lot from him. Um, He flies in on the 12th, and I'm going to attempt to go pick him up up in Portland, and we'll see how that all works out. So those people who are listening online, the weather here in Hulsey, Oregon is very wet and rainy, but that don't keep Jesus out of our heart. I had an interesting week. Um, some of the contacts I have, I want to share that in my pre-sermon talk. And uh, some thoughts that have been marinating on for quite some time. And this guy called me and I thought, whoa, this just fits like a, like a well-fit glove. As most of you know here, I have this tradition that when you weld steel and you want something to hold together you put it through a heat process called stress relieving and so and so my thing is we all stand together to sing a song and that's um we'll sing this song if you care to stand with me let's turn to 928 I'm going to read these words, some of these words to you. In verse, it's a short song. It says, Prince of Peace, control my will. Do you want your will here to be controlled today? Bid this struggling heart is still. Bid my fears and doubts cease. Hush my spirit into peace. Let's sing this song. <clears throat> Prince of Peace, control my will. Oh, my God. 
may be seated. Dennis, am I supposed to have that thingamajig? I'm good? Okay. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 53. And there's a phrase I want to read to you out of Psalm or Isaiah 53, verse 2. And Isaiah is predicting or is prophesying the the uh, Jesus child. He's prophesying who Jesus is. He's prophesying about him. And there's this uh, little phrase in verse 2 that I would like to talk about in um, a little pre-sermon talk. <clears throat> and for you strangers here <clears throat> that don't come here every week, I... Um, a lot of my little pre-sermon talks are things that have happened to me, um, conversations I had, and, and my takeaway, and what God is really trying to teach me through these things, and uh, just um, just to draw closer to God. And this verse reads like this, taken out Isaiah fifty-three verse two, it says, "For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground." For he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. <clears throat> and so this little phrase, as a root out of the dry ground. <clears throat> you know, when Jesus was born, he wasn't born into some, like, real high-up family. You know, he had a stepdad. He, um, his father was Jesus. You know, his birth... Um, was a stable. Can you imagine being birthed in a stable? You know, how much lowlier can you get? The inn was full. You know, we want to have, you know, in these births, we want to have everything nice and yada yada. And, um, but here he was. The room was full. He was birthed, he was born in a stable. And then on top of that, he was born in Nazareth. And I had to think about these things. Born in Nazareth. If you do a little, um, study, like, where is Nazareth? Like, the Bible talks about, can a good thing come out of Nazareth? Like, it's like a insult upon an insult, you know. And um, taken out of John one forty six, I think it talks about, let's just read that verse. <clears throat> it talks about, and then Nathaniel said unto, can any, there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, come and see. See, the question's asked, you know, is, you know, Nazareth is not a place of influence. You know, you think this king would be born um, a place of influence. He would be, he would be a part of a royal family. He don't need royalty. You know, these are things that I just uh, penciled down here. Uh, if I, if I, if I want to be somebody, if I want to really be somebody, you know, we're going to surround ourselves with people of power, of prestige, of educated people. Um, but Jesus, he didn't do that. He just chose fishermen. You know, he wasn't, um, he didn't, um, you know, he didn't choose people that were just like highly educated people that would just, what do you say, wow the crowds. He was just a common, common, somebody that came out of Nazareth. Nobody, nobody of prestige, but he was a savior. 
But you know what? This tender plant that grew out of dry ground came out of some of the most difficult setting and obstacles against him. But you know what? That plant grew. And now it can shade my troubled and hurting heart. And uh, I have thought about that this past several weeks. You know, my heart, my troubled heart, the things that I'm worried about, the things that I heard about in the past that I have still have to work on. And by the way, you know, we as a family, we're going through some uh, Bill Gothard's uh, basic seminar as a family. And I just had to sit there like, I remember as he's teaching, I remember some of the things he showed um, he showed us many years ago that I have long forgot, and then it started coming back to me. And it's easy to think, well, that's for that person, or that's for that person, somebody in your life somewhere. But my challenge was to my family, let's take these things personal. Like, like can I personally identify with what he's saying? And to, to, to be under authority. He talked that we're going through, the, we're only in session five, we're ready for session six tonight. But to be under authority. And I had to think about my past and how many times as a young man that I was out from underneath authority and how God would have longed to bless my life. But I didn't know. I didn't, know, I didn't, I didn't have all these, these principles and I didn't realize the impact of being under authority and how it affected my life. And, and you know, I have no way to back it up the train and, 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 and to see what would happen. If, if I was not under authority. He talks about the people who have, 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 are Christians, and yet their parents aren't Christians, and the, and the conflict that goes on there. And what amazes me about this man <clears throat> from time to time is that the questions that he asks these people that have conflict with their parents or they have conflict with, with their authority and, uh, you know, it's just interesting to me. But God met me there. And God, I, I can't change that. I often wonder, what would happen if I would, if I would um, put myself underneath the authority and kept myself there instead of just like, this does not fit. I'm just going to, I just need to move on. But how would God worked if I would have just kept myself under authority? And, uh, and so I, I remember... Uh, many years ago, me and my wife went to the basic, and these things were heavy on my mind. And um, I, I really took this thing to an extreme. So, so I, I would go like the place of business where I worked. It was it was a known fact that you could go down here to the Pioneer fill, uh, truck stop, and um, my employer's employees he could they could drink all the coffee and all the soft drinks they wanted for free. And so we cemented in helping ourselves. And maybe we took a little bit of advantage of all his employees. Maybe we took a little bit of advantage of all that. Finally, employer, he got tired of people taking off and going down there and wasting a lot of time. So he finally put in his own soda machine. And um, anyway, uh, but I remember going down there. And, you know, they had these big, massive pots of coffee. And, you know, the one would say brewing or... It would. It wasn't ready to use yet, and it was very obvious. And the other one was empty. 
And it was very obvious that it was done brewing. But I would take this thing to such an extreme that, like, no, I want to be under authority. I will not take out of that thing. But the other one was empty. And I went, I'd go get somebody and say, hey, is this thing done? Which is very obvious. It was done brewing. But I wanted to be under authority. How do you start? Where do you... I remember talking to Brother Mark. You know, how do you be under authority? What is the proper concept? You know, much of what I've seen in my life was not good, was not proper teaching on how to be under authority. I didn't know how. And I'm not even going to stand here and promote how to be under authority. But I just know that there is blessings in in being under authority. Young men, young ladies, I just know that. And uh, I just wish I would have had some of those principles applied in my life. However... So, you know, there was a lot of pain, a lot of hurt in my life because of I was not under authority. <clears throat> but this plant grew up to bring shade to the troubled in my hurting heart. It's a place of refuge, a place of fo- a fortress, as Psalm 46.1 talks about. He knows what it's like to be rejected. And if you read further in, um, in that chapter, I think it's the next verse, it talks about he was, he was, he was rejected, he was, he was, he was despised of men. He knows what that's like. So if you find yourself in a place like that where you feel like you're kind of kicked to the curb and under the bus, and you know when they're done with that, they roll you underneath something else, Jesus knows what it's like to be there. And um, <clears throat> I often thank God for that verse because many times in my grown-up years, and even sometimes now, I feel a little kicked to the curb. And he was crucified for the things he did not commit. Now you talk about fair. That is not fair. That he was not, he was crucified for things, for accusations against him that he did not commit. But you know what? That was God's plan. You know, for the, to, to die, for, to die on the cross, to rise the third day. We'll talk about that later. <clears throat> but this, uh, tender plant did not, did not die. They tried to cut him down. You know, that was all Satan's plan. You know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna kill him. We'll end this, we'll end this, um, chapter in history. But you know what? I am here to tell you this morning with exciting news. He is alive and well today. Hallelujah. He's still well. He's sitting at the right hand of God, his father, God Almighty. And on the third day, his, um, his tomb was invaded by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus rose on the third day. The body of Jesus no longer lays in, in, the, in the tomb where it had been <clears throat> for three days. The Jesus of Nazareth is alive and well. You know, Jesus, he conquered the culture. And am I allowing culture to, to, to conform me? Um, <clears throat> am I allowing the things that this world is pushing and, and striving for? He broke the chains of sin. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Now he holds the keys of eternal life. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The world's gone crazy. You know, we have this, there's a lot of talk about this woke culture. You know what I'm talking about? This woke culture? <clears throat> I heard a story. This kind of goes with this woke culture. You know, um, you know there's this, there this conversation between this father and son. And this son he said to his he said to his dad he said you he said you remember this uh, wonder woman which he was talking about his mom 
He, his dad goes, oh, yeah. He said, he remembers this Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. He said, that, that. He said she, was, she was a Wonder Woman. She, like, he was, it's his wife, it's his mom, this boy's mom. But he said, you know, courting, dating was so much easier back than it is now. He said, now you have to wonder if it's a woman with all this culture stuff going on. And, you know, back then, years ago, I think... This boy, he was up in his years, in his 30s maybe. He had to, he had to, um, you know, they want to, they want to, they want to slice and dice this gender thought process going. It is so wrong. We have become so open-minded that our brains fall out. That's the way it is. We don't stop and think. But who's governing you? Our culture or God's word? But when Jesus comes in, he changes everything. You know, I, I my challenge to you this morning in this little pre-summer talk, plant Jesus in the dry ground. Culture, everywhere you go, plant Jesus. You know, this this tender plant will grow. And this plant will grow up to be somebody that something that can that can meet your need. <clears throat> We don't give up on our, we don't give up on people because they're in a dry season. How many of you sitting here this morning would, would say you're in a dry season? I'm going to put my hand up because you know what? I feel like I'm in a dry season, but Jesus is a root that flourishes in dry ground. You know what I'm saying? Are you getting what I'm saying? He doesn't need anything outside of himself because he is God eternal. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He holds time in his hand. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He rides on the wings of the morning, like Psalm 39, 9 says. He put the stars into orbit. He spoke light into existence. He can, he can take my dry and barren ground. My adverse, now get this and get it good. My adverse conditions don't have to determine the outcome of my life. Did you get that? I'll read it again. My adverse conditions do not have to determine the outcome of my life. You know, he's the one where, where the, where the jailer, um, sorry, the, 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 the boy was healed. He's the one where Zacchaeus was in a tree. And he's the one who invited Zacchaeus to come down because you know why? I'm going to come to your house today while the, while the world pointed fingers at him. You know, this guy is eating with sinners. And, and tax collectors and the down and out. But Jesus didn't care. He's also the one who took the little children and held them. And you know, he wants to hold you today and, and take all my hurts to him, all my failures to him. He's the one, um, that, that can provide healing in my broken spirit. He's the one that can take the ashes of my life and put them together. He's the one who can take the bros that has been smashed on, and it can grow up. You know, many times, you know, especially in the summer, when we don't get no rain for several months, <clears throat> you know, there's many times, you know, I'll, I'll be out in a, uh, well, for example, one of our hay sheds, you know, it never gets no water there. It's got a rock floor that's covered with, it's just covered with straw. It is just dry, and then dry again, and then dry again. There's no water there. And one day, I was in this one hay shed. <clears throat> you know, these buildings are huge. And out in the middle of nowhere, 
here comes this little green plant poking up through the gravel. And I've often thought about this verse. The root and the dry ground, there is no moisture there. And yet this plant is, is pushing its way north out of the dry rock. Maybe, it, maybe it's in the road or in, the, in, the, in, the, in your walk that gets no, that grass in between the crack and the pavement. It's pushing its way, it's pushing itself out. And um, can you, in your adverse situations this morning, in your adverse situation that you find yourself in, whatever that is, that Jesus is the, is the root out of the dry ground. He is, he is there to, to extend and to, to heal you. <clears throat> Okay, I determined today we are going to leave out on time, okay? Because it seems like every time I share, we're running some time over, and I decided today is going to be a, a glorious day in the history of this church when I have to speak. We're going to end this service on time. Now, I have a quite lengthy message, but I decided, you know what? We are not going to have to touch on all four points where if we so i just stopped with the first point that i have and that's where we're just going to pull the e-brake until i'm asked again whether that's months down the road and it's okay and then we'll finish could i have my water bottle please take your bibles and turn to genesis 37 genesis 37 Caleb, it's good to see you here. I want to welcome you back. I know this is kind of unorthodox to do it in the middle of a speech, but it's okay. It's okay. I uh, thank you. I text my sister and I says I always get scared when I have to share because I'm not the most orthodox speaker and never plan to be. So welcome back. Um, you plan on staying for a while? A little bit. Did you have a good time? Good. Well, it's good to see you here, and we're glad you're back. Okay, Genesis 37. Let's start reading here. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of, in the land of Canaan. And there were generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding, in, feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhiah and the sons of Zilpha. His father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peacefully unto him. Verse 5, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said to them, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in a field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said, unto, said to him, 
Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and my and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come and bow down at your, ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And we'll just quit there, because <clears throat> I think that's about as far as we're going to get here on this first point. I would like to talk to you. You know, this is time of when we think about Christmas, the birth of Christ, the world. They do their thing, but you know. I don't get, I try not to get too involved with all that, but as I marinate on the birth of Christ, and this, this depicts what I'm going to share this morning are four great events of Joseph and what happened to his life that is a portrait, that is a picture of Jesus. And, um, <clears throat> so I would just like to take a look at this. The Bible, to some people, is a mystery. The Bible, to some people, is a mystery. They're like, they can't figure it out. There is a golden key that will help unlock the Bible and its truth. What do you think that key is? Anyone want to guess? What is that key? You could be wrong. It's okay. It's Jesus himself. The Bible is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, from cover to cover, from Genesis to, to, to Revelation, God is trying to, to show us that it's about His Son Jesus. And, uh, it's, it's, it's to, it's to, to help us to understand the great sacrifice that God made or Jesus made and show us how to live and how to be and how to do. <clears throat> Joseph became a prophecy, became prophecy. He became a portrait, a picture of an illustration of Jesus by divine providence. God loved his son Jesus so much that he wants to give many prophecies and pictures of him. So if you Bible readers, if we read through the Bible, you will see many pictures of his son. My Bible has many stars beside it in the Old Testament, and a lot of like we read this earlier this morning out of out of Isaiah that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even on the scene here on this earth. And you know, if if how these people who have no it's it's history, it's how these people that just throw everything out these these atheists, but their heart is so cold and hard, I guess. I don't know how you argue with history when you have people who have seen it and have been there and have walked and have, and as this is recorded. <clears throat> However, whatever. God wants so much for us to be saved that He gives us many illustrations of salvation. He gives us, He gives us pictures of how this, how this is supposed to all be and how we're, how we're supposed to be. So there are four great events in Joseph's life that gives a picture of the coming Savior. Taken out of, out of Genesis 37, the first three verses, and, 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 and let's just read them again. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father, the stranger of the land of Canaan. And then he talks about the generations, and now, and then in verse three it says, now Joseph, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and made him a coat of many colors. Okay. So God's son, Jesus is the beloved of the father. 
Just like Joseph, just like Joseph. What does it say here? Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. You know, when our firstborn was born, I like, how can anybody love six children? That was just blew my circuits. When our firstborn was born, as I held her, how can I love another child? Ain't happening. Ain't happening. And then I would see these families with 10, 12 children, like, whoa. I just had one. But I began to understand that, you know, God gives them all. They're all different. And I loved them all. It's amazing. And if I would have had 12 children, I would have probably loved them all. So, wow. <clears throat> the beloved son. Joseph was the beloved son. Jesus was the beloved son. Joseph, of all his brothers, was especially loved. Why was he loved? Why do you think he was loved? Anybody? Why do you think he was loved? His mother. His mother? His mother? And who was his mother? Leah. Leah. No. <laughs> it was not Leah. Rachel. Rachel. And it also says that Joseph loved him because he was a son of his old age. You know, where I grew up, there was this family. Had They had a fairly large family. And I remember um, these were older people to me. They were all grown, had families of their own. And I remember uh, somebody commenting, well, this one son, he was the favorite of all the sons that they had. They had a lot of sons. And I just could not figure that out. You know, I just always felt like my parents loved us all equally for who we were, all our different antics, and uh, they loved us all. I never felt loved over, more over, or unloved more under than someone else. Okay, Joseph, of all his brothers, was especially loved. Joseph was his father's love. We talk about that. What does the Bible, what does... What does that tell us about Jesus? What does the Bible say? Let's go to Matthew 3. In Matthew 3, verse 17, it says, And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in who I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, in who I am well pleased. God's Son, Jesus, the beloved of the Father. God wants us to to exalt his son, to love his son. You know, this story comes to my mind, and I know I've told it here before, I'm going to tell it again. You know, there was a great auction of old paintings and, and things that were very famous. And some of you probably remember this story. And and, uh, and they were going to sell these paintings. for These paintings were worth high dollars, many, many dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And... This man, his son, was was killed in a, one of the wars. I don't know if this is actually a true story, but it's a true it's a story. And it illustrates a point. And this son was killed in a killed in a in a war. And this father, he he um, missed his son. And so they the day of the auction came, and they were going to auction all these all these pictures off, all these paintings off, all these famous paintings. And so the father or the the the, the auctioneer, one of the requests was given. He had a painting of his son that he, he, he dearly loved his son. This 
beautiful painting of his son. And one of the stipulations is the painting of the son gets auctioned first. And you know, as the auctioneer was trying to get a bid out of somebody, and there was people in this in this crowd, like away with the son, get rid of him, just forget him. And Let's get on with the show. There was many people there ready to write out checks, big dollars for these for these paintings. And finally, somebody somebody yelled out ten dollars. And he and they, you know how these auctioneers they rattled and rammed and carried on and trying to get more money out of more than ten dollars out of the sun. And finally, the hammer came down, sold ten bucks. And the auctioneer says, "The auction is over." It's stipulated whoever buys a son gets everything else. I am here to tell you, you take the son Jesus, you get all the promises, you get everything that comes with Jesus. When I heard that story, I was touched. You know, that's exactly how it is. Whoever gets a son gets it all. <clears throat> Let's turn to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, verse 5. It says this, And yet while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowing them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, said This is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased. Hear ye him, God's Son. <clears throat> the world will never settle the question of sin if it ignores the, the, the son question. If we don't answer the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? We'll never settle the sin. Jesus is the son of God, taken out of math, out of John 5.28. Let's just read that. I think scripture is, is the most important thing that can be said this morning. I'll, above and beyond what I'm saying. <clears throat> In John 5.28, it says this. <clears throat> Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. And ye shall come forth, they that have done good, unto the resurrection of life, and they have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. God wants you to take his son. Jesus, Joseph, had a special name. Joseph means abundance, one who adds to multiplier. The name of Jesus means Jehovah saves. God, Jesus is the one who, whose life is full of abundance. Jesus has the answer for everything I have. Taking out of John 10. Let's flip over to John 10. 9 and 10. It reads like this. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief, which was already talked about this morning, appreciated that. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Abundant life. Jesus is the one whose life is full of abundance. <clears throat> Jesus is a Joseph who adds to, who multiplies, who gives abundance. Joseph, his faultless distinction, and taken out of, um, out of, um, going back to Genesis 37. 
verse 2. You know, he was 17 years old. He was out there feeding the flock. He was, he was doing what he's supposed to do. And he was distinctly different than his brothers. In verse 2, it says that Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Um, I did not study into that to see what that all means. But evil means unsatisfactory report. I don't know what they were doing. But Joseph was not a tattletale. He was a, um, he was a truth teller. He told him the truth, what his brothers were actually doing. And one thing I thought was interesting in my studies, there is not one sin mentioned about Joseph in Scripture. You think about that. And as I read this, this, this writing, I was like, there is not one sin mentioned about Joseph in the Bible. Another thing that I thought was very interesting that I read, that um, when God created the universe, he just had a handful of words and created a whole universe. Just a handful of words, four or five. You think about that, okay? He spoke the word, boom, it happened. You take scripture, the book of Genesis alone, it contains, it takes 25% of the book of Genesis and it talks about Joseph. So what is so important that God wants me to learn from the life of Joseph and his, as he's a for, as he is a, a portrait of Christ? What is he wanting me to learn? The Bible says that his brothers were evil. And as I mentioned earlier, there's no sin mentioned about Joseph in the Bible. This is because Joseph is a picture of Jesus. Taken out of Hebrews, Hebrews 7. I'm going to read there. Verse 26, it says, For such an high priest became us, who is, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. It's talking about Christ. <clears throat> Joseph was not a talebearer. He was a truth speaker. Just as Joseph brought an evil report, Jesus testified that this world is evil. Taken out of John 7.7. 7. Why, why, this is why the world hates Jesus. The work, the, the, the mark of Joseph's distinction was his coat of many colors. Taken out of Genesis 37.3, it talks about his coat of many colors. This coat may also speak of the many splendors that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, John 1. Let's go to John 1. <clears throat> In John 1, verse 14, it talks about, and the word was made, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, what is not this drab, this this making a show of of of, of himself as superior to others. He was this radiant Savior. And if you read Psalm forty five seven, you will learn. Little children loved to come to him and to sit at his feet, to crawl up on his lap. You know, what would it have been like to be there and to physically touch him? He's a Jesus of many colors, distinct. 
and different in the world. There's love. There's compassion. There's mercy. His future dominion of Joseph, taken out of, going back to Genesis 37. I'm going to have to hurry if I'm going to beat this clock. It says, and he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his, told it to his brethren and said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars made obeisance to me. You know, there was something different about him. Why was he having all these dreams? Why weren't his brothers having it? It was hard for him to, hard for them to accept his dream. It, it, it talks about the future. And I don't think Joseph, he understood even himself these dreams, why he was having them. And, but it was a, it was a future, uh, prophesy. It was God preparing him for something greater than himself. Something that, something that he was going to use Joseph. And I think as a young lad, it was hard for him, you know, it would, as I read this story, you know, it's easy for me to say, well, man, I, if I'm getting all this pushback, I'm just not going to tell these guys anymore. You know, it just makes them mad every time I talk to them. Every time I tell them about these dreams that I had, I'm not going to say anything more to them. But as you know the history, as you know your, you Bible readers, you know this story, you know, that's exactly what happened. Those brothers bowed before him. And you want to talk about a root out of the dry ground, what I talked about earlier. That is Joseph to me. He is the root out of the dry ground. He was the one who went on before to save his family. He was the one who went on before and was thrown into the, was thrown, which I'm, which we'll get to there. But he was the one that was thrown into prison for doing no evil at all. And you know, as he sat there day after day after day, you know, he was made of human flesh, just like you and me. And you know, he had a thought process going on that you and I have. You know, he sat there. Did he sit there and say, this is not fair to me. What is happening to me? And yet, you know, when, when he, when, when he was finally taken out of prison, you know, he went right out of prison, right to the vice president of the company, of the, of the known world, of the government of that day. And as, 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 as the, as the main leader of that day, you know, he wanted him and Joseph told him, this is what you need to do. And, and the king, you know, this guy just got out of, out of jail. And he's telling him, you know what? Who's a better man to put in charge than Joseph himself? But, but, you know, it's his attitude. He just simply spoke the truth. And you know, God was, God was with Joseph the whole time through. You know, sometimes there's hard things that come into our lives that I don't like. And, and you know, sometimes, you know, those hard things that come into my life, it makes it very easy to, um, like, get disgruntled, I know. And, but you know, as the days go by, healing comes in, and then we begin to understand God from a little different perspective, and uh, we can start reaching out to people. And I have a little story at the end. <clears throat> what happened this past week? Jesus also spoke of his coming dominion. He's coming again. We may have to often ask the question, what is this world coming to? It is coming to Jesus. The world is in such a mess because of things that are out of place now. But can I expect that? Can I, as I look at the world and what's on the horizon, I am telling you here this morning that we are very close to the King of Kings coming back. You know, I had to think about this a little bit. You know, where does a king belong? Where does a king belong? 
He belongs on a throne, right? He belongs on a throne. Where does, where, where does the criminal belong? Where was where, Satan? I, as, as I look at Satan as the criminal, where does he belong? Where would you put criminals? Put them in the high place? Would you put him on the throne? He belongs in jail. The church is the bride. As you think about that, the church is the bride of Christ. And she belongs with her groom. And as a challenge, as a conclusion, I just wrote this. Soon and very soon, Jesus will come again. And things will go back to play, into place. The land, it, the Bible talks about this verse came to me. I couldn't find it. But the lamb and the lion will lie down together again. I think it's taken out of Isaiah somewhere. Is that halfway right? It's taken out of the Bible somewhere. I think it's out of Isaiah. And uh, I just I just want to leave that challenge with you. As we uh, look at the future uh, compare, uh, parallels between Joseph and Jesus, I, um, I have three more. And uh, we're just going to stop with this first one. I'll try to make this story short. So this past week... <clears throat> I, um, I got a phone call from my wife's uncle, and uh, I very much enjoy talking to him. He's a deep thinker, and I just enjoy visiting with him. And uh, I, he, uh, so I noticed that. He, I missed a phone call for him, and several days went by, and I'm like, ooh, I better call him back, see what he wanted. He didn't call me back, so I thought, well, it's probably nothing important. And um, I said, Friday, I try to do no office work on Fridays. That is my day off. And I didn't quite make it on Thursday night, get everything UPS packed up and UPSed off, so I had a do a little more. I had to wait for some POs to come through before I could ship these shipments off. And I said, I'm going to call this guy, see what he wants. And so, and so I looked at the clock, say 8.30. And we talked for the next hour and a half. And I, um, as he talked about his struggle, his struggles in the past, and what he's feeling, what God is teaching him. And he was talking, you know how on a cell phone there's that little blip in there? You know, somebody, Johnny says something, and then there's this little wait, and then it goes again. You cell phone callers, if you don't have like really good services, there's that little space in there. And I would start talking, and that happened multiple times, and I was walking all over this guy, and I'm like, all of a sudden it came very clear to me. Whoop, this guy does not want me to talk. He just he just wants me to listen. So the next hour and a half, I just stood on the phone. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he said something very interesting to me. This is what he said. He made this comment. He said, he told his wife, he was getting up one morning, he said, I was sitting on the edge of the bed. He said, I told my wife, he said, I think I'm in soul discipline. I said, what? Soul discipline. And, uh, God is teaching him a lot of things. He was very sick this past summer. I totally forgot, and then I remembered that I tried to go visit him in the hospital. And he had fever, 
And he was trying to figure out what is God trying to teach him through all this. And I could just hear the agony in his voice and the excitement in his voice that he is under God's arrest. And God wants to show him some beautiful things. And then he told me this story. And um, he didn't know this because I was on the other side of the phone line. But it brought tears to my eyes. There's this man in the community here. And he is not an Anabaptist man. But he's a Christian. And one time I had to work in this man's combine. And I was huffing and puffing about who would trash their combine cab out like that. Who would have all this dirt I would clean this thing so he could eat off the floor. I was like, and I was, I don't know, I had to move it, had to do something, and I found these notes on the floor. They were scripture notes. I'm like, oh, maybe I should uh, back up my thought process. And so this man, he um, went to visit my wife's uncle. And just before he left, He wondered. He said, can I pray for you? And my wife's uncle, he's like, sure. He was laying in his his, um, chair there. He couldn't do much. And he prayed. He said, oh, he said it was a beautiful prayer. And he prayed this, he prayed Psalm 23 over him. And then he thanked the Lord for this. He said, thank you for the green pastures that you are leading us in. And so when he was done, and he was about ready to leave, he was getting getting ready to leave, my wife's uncle asked him, he said, Roger, I want to talk to you. He said, why did you pray that? He said, well, you're in green pastures, aren't you? He said, like, no. He said, I'm sick. I'm running high fever a day after day after day after day. And I can't do nothing. I'm sick. I, I am far from green pastures. He goes, no, you don't understand. And so then he explained his green pastures. And my wife's uncle, he's like, you know, Glenn, he said, the darkest times in life, when it was so dark, it was so dark, he says, is the times I was the closest to Jesus. And, you know, he just he just talked and talked about, you know, walking with Christ and, and, and being everything that, that we are supposed to be in Christ and how he longs to... To have this relationship, this close relationship. He said it's a relationship with the Savior. And I was just, I was just, I was just amazed. I was encouraged. I listened to his, to his testimony. And, uh, you know, God wants to take me through these hard times in life when I don't think life is fair to me. When I feel like, why am I here? And in this, in this place and time. But God wants to lead you. He wants to lead me into green pastures. He wants to lead me beside the still waters. And then it says this. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in the, pla- in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And then verse 6 says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I get to that verse, Lord, how can this happen? You know, in the dark times of my life, when he was, when he was very sick, you know, how can he look at this verse? How can we look at this verse and say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life? God, well, I'm not there. But you know, God is a good God. And let's never lose sight of that. That God is a good God. And he wants to give you good things. And he wants to restore your soul. He wants to restore my soul. He wants to prepare this table for me. He wants to give me all the good things that he has in store for me. And you know, as I go through life, he wants to, he wants to give all these great, all these things to me as, uh, in my life that he wants to do, do for me. I can't do them on my own. I need Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for today. Thank you for showing us from your word that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords and that you have a work for us to do. That's why we're still here, Lord. And help us to find out. Help us to seek you for that work that you have for us in this life. <clears throat> and I thank you, God, that you are a shepherd. And that I will not, I shall not want, Lord. You make me to lie down in green pastures and you lead me beside the still waters. You want to restore my soul. You want to lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, Lord, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then you are going to prepare a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies, Lord, you will anoint my head with oil until my cup runs over. Lord, I don't understand all that. But I know you're a good God. And I know you have all these things in store for me. And you're, in the last verse, you said, tell me this, Lord, that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I pray for each Christian here this morning. And even the people who are not Christians here this morning, I pray that you will put a desire in their heart that they want to dwell in your house, Lord, forever. There is no better place than to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Lord, put that yearning within our hearts. And Lord, we think of those who are gone from our midst today because of various reasons, because of travel, whatever the reasons are. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and keep them in your constant care. And as you watch over us today... Though it's stormy and rainy outside, Lord, we can have peace with you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.